we are now four weeks away, which is hard for me to wrap my head around from the end of the regular season and the beginning of the second season in the Ontario Hockey League as we welcome you to another episode of the OHL podcast. And by we, I mean me, Mike Farwell, on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. And that guy over there, Dan Mahar, on Twitter at Dan Mahar. Unfortunately, and I think that's fair to say it that way, we start this week by talking about some questionable hits uh, that have occurred. One, I think we're going to see a definitely longer suspension and one we thought might have been suspendable and ended up not being. So let's start with the one where Owen Beck, Dan Mahar, I think maybe, I, I got a thought on this, but maybe got away with something here against Thomas Budnick of the Kingston Front next. This goes back to a week ago, Friday, game being played. I believe it was up in Kingston, but uh, nonetheless, your thoughts on Beck, the Habs prospect, on Budnick behind the net. Yeah, well, I'll start by saying I love Owen Beck as a player, and he's not a dirty player. So that you always got to qualify it that way, because I think sometimes when you look at the punishment, that that's a factor. And, you know, the guy doesn't have a track record of this kind of thing. He's a hard player, uh, plays 200 feet, doesn't usually take a shift off. And so every now and then you expect maybe there, there's some chippiness in the game, but uh, did not like the hit at all. Um and I think Owen Beck would probably be the first one to tell you that behind the net on Thomas Budnick came up really high, really quickly. And it was kind of a, you could dismiss it as a bit of a heat of the battle thing where maybe, maybe didn't uh, think it through too much, but you just hate to see that launch come up into a player um, can really take a guy's head off with a hit like that. And with the concussion issues we're having in the game, uh, you, you hate to see it. So I, I, of all the suspendable things I've seen in the OHL this year, I definitely thought that one was, was worth worth a couple games, probably. Um, not an indictment of the player himself, Owen Beck, but definitely an indictment of the hit. And I think you need to get that type of hit out of the game where the explosion is upwards towards the head. So he did miss the next game, but he's played two since. He's got an assist along the way for the Peterborough Peets. And to your point on the kind of player that Owen Beck is, I'm with you across the board on this. This is a hard-nosed guy, but not a dirty guy by any means. We wouldn't put him into that category. And when you mention that about him and being a Habs prospect, I'm not sure we actually talked about it when it happened. He had that emergency call-up just after joining the Peets. But Owen Beck's season has been something else. He starts, obviously, with the Habs in their camp uh, as a prospect, gets sent back to the Ontario Hockey League rejoins the Mississauga Steelheads, then goes to the World Junior Camp, gets cut, goes back to the Mississauga Steelheads. Oh, wait a minute. He's an injury call-up back to the World Junior, so he returns to the tournament. Then he's back to the Steelheads just before being dealt to the Peterborough Peets, where he's playing when he gets another emergency call-up, this time to the National Hockey League of the Montreal Canadiens, and now back in junior where he's anticipating a long playoff run with the Peterborough Peets. Certainly that's what the Peets would be hoping for. I'm going to say this about the hit and and what I thought might've gotten Beck off the hook, his reputation, notwithstanding is it looked to me and I even slowed it down as much as I could watching the video, but it looked like he almost exploded up with the forearm as opposed to the elbow or the shoulder. So to your point, Dan, you're right. We don't want to see primary point of contact and exploding up into someone's head but maybe and i'm just going out 
on a limb on this and suggesting, because obviously this would have been reviewed. Maybe when they looked at it, they thought, okay, this is more like a forearm shiver, if I can use the wrestling term, as opposed to an elbow or a shoulder to somebody's head. Plus, and and I don't like that this is part of it, but it might have been part of it. But Nick got right back up. And I'm sure that might have been part of it for sure. And and they also look at principal point of contact, different dynamic factors. Was the player moving when he when he received the hit? Looked a little bit like frustration to me where, where Beck came off the boards, wasn't happy with the, how the play had just occurred, took a bit of frustration to throw that hit. And also, you never know what, it's a quick game. It's a fast game. Things come at you quickly. And potentially, he didn't know if he was going to receive a hit and kind of bracing himself, getting himself in the best position to absorb that. But definitely the optics were not good on that one. And uh, and glad to hear Budnick's okay, though. Beck did get uh, five in a game for a check to the head. I think that was the right call by the officials in that hockey match. Let's go to the other one. And this one has a real ick factor associated with it for me for a couple of reasons. But Artem Guriev of the Flint Firebirds on Ty Voigt of the Sarnia Sting. One of the reasons for the ick factor after Ty Voigt had just scored a goal. Yeah, I think the ick factor is dripping off this one, Mike. I mean, even Dale Hunter's like, whoa, dude, that's late. Uh, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> Dale Dale never heard the whistle, Dan. You know this. We all know this. <laughs> it's a historical reference for our younger viewers. Have to look that one up. But uh, yeah, that there was inexcusable is the word I would use for that. You just can't have that for a multitude of reasons. I mean, with Guriev, you have a player who plays hard, plays physical. Sure, that's his game. That's his brand. That's what keeps him around. But this is suspension number five. And when you're sitting on four and you get one for something in the heat of the action, like like Beck's hit or something where it just spur of the moment, maybe a leg came out. Yeah, kind of think about it. But this, he had all kinds of time to think about this. He was mad the player scored. He hit him well after the whistle. And to, to boot, you're talking Ty Voigt here, one of the, the top offensive players in the entire league. So... All of the all of the factors in this one might add up to league can't can't let this one stand. There has to be a significant punishment because you have a tough physical player who crosses the line frequently, clearly not getting the message, crossed it again, potentially injuring uh, one of your premier players who fans pay to see and and one of the top players on a top team that's looking to make around the playoffs. So I think for all of those reasons, Mike, I'm expecting this this suspension to be somewhat lengthy. I agree wholeheartedly with that. So as of the time of this recording, the suspension is listed as indefinite. The Firebirds do not play again until Friday. So I would suspect sometime this week prior to that next game for the Firebirds, obviously the suspension will come down. Guriev has missed two already. The Firebirds won them both for for what that's worth. But the two he missed, he got uh, a five-minute major and a match or a five-minute, yeah, penalty and the match in that game, which again, I think is the right call. So that comes essentially with the automatic two. So you would have expected him to miss the past two. I like you because we're talking about a repeat offender here. And look, I, I like the rough and tumble guys as much as the next guy, but this goes well past the line. And if you're already having been disciplined four times by way of suspension in your OHL career, I would expect the league to come down pretty heavily on this one too. And that's the second part of the factor for me, by the way, this is a a four-time offender now number five, along with it being after the goal. And that's the part that gets me the most because look, I know we talk a lot about defenseless players head down in a vulnerable 
vulnerable position, this, that, or the other thing. In this particular case, I mean, just just imagine, I think we can all understand after a player has scored a goal, how ill-prepared they are for any kind of contact. And then Guriev comes in and fills in Ty Voigt. And the word that keeps coming to mind for me, even beyond dirty, is just disrespect. And And this is something that I know the league insists on and that we talk about from time to time. Unfortunately, I'll use that word again, but the the decreasing level of respect that we see at times in the game for your opponent. Yeah. You know, Mike, I thought the disrespect point is great. And I don't want to sound all terribly altruistic on this one, but when you look at the number of kids in the stands watching these games and by and large, you see great hockey. It's a great example for these kids, how to protect the puck, how to move the puck, how to act like a professional. But then you see things like that. And when those, those are your hockey heroes and they think they see it's okay. This kid, this guy's doing it after a whist didn't like the goal. I'm going to send a message. I'm going to hit their best player. It's just a horrible example all around. And I, I have to believe the Ontario hockey league has been pretty serious about player accountability over the years, almost too serious in my opinion. Uh, but this is one where they're well justified, I think to, to hold him accountable. The after the whistle stuff is just completely inexcusable. Um, you got to hold your cool. You got to hold your temper and, do it on the ice, not not between whistles like this. So, uh, yeah, I think this is this is going to be a long one, Mike. The Sarnia Sting, much like the Peterborough Peets in the East, are hoping for a long playoff run in the West. Ty Voigt will obviously be a key part of that. So let's hope that it's nothing too serious for him. And yes, watch for the media notes to be updated or the league. I doubt they'll make much of an announcement. That's another little pet peeve of mine. I get why they don't want to draw attention to these things, but we would expect to hear in short order how long the suspension is to Artem Guriev. And, and I'm thinking, I'll just throw it out there. I'm thinking you're starting at five games. Yeah, yeah, no, I was thinking about that before we started the pod, Mike. What, what made the number be? And, and the number dancing in my head was eight to 10. Um, yeah. I don't want to be over the top, but I, I, I just think, track record everything about it there's there's really no defense there so we'll see uh that would be the number in my head though yeah i'm i'm the same if it's any less than five i would be shocked quite frankly at at this point okay some other news and notes in the league and before we get to one that you came across dan about some terrific support for indigenous youth who love the game of hockey uh let's start first with the barry colts if we can because a couple of interesting things coming out of there just this past weekend and i think it begins the the biggest might be uh marty williamson uh, surpassing of all people of course Dale Howarchuk as the winningest coach in Barry Colts history. Williamson notching wins number 306 and 307 for the Colts this weekend. And upon passing Howarchuk in that department, standing ovation from the crowd at the Sadlin Arena. And it's it's just great to see. Marty, Marty's a good guy in the game. He's been around for a long time. Huge smile on the face and uh, what I think is a deserving standing ovation for win number 306 as a head coach with the Barry Colts. Yeah, and what an honor for for him to pass who he passed to. I think he'd probably be the first to say he hates passing a guy like Dale Howardchuk, who's just meant so much to the Ontario Hockey League and National Hockey League and was beloved in Barry. But what an honor and what a track record for for a guy like Williamson, who's been around for a lot of years, and to achieve it back in Barry, where he's done so much in the past. So, so yeah, kudos to Marty on on quite a number achieved there. 
I don't think I can add anything to the conversation about Dale Howarchuk that hasn't already been said, especially by people who knew him better. But I will say this. He's a previous guest on this podcast. If you want to go back and listen to the archives, he tells the great story about that face-off in the 87 Canada Cup that he took in with Lemieux on one side and Gretzky on the other. So that's always fun. And Dale's name came up in our most recent episode. If you haven't listened to it, the episode with Cameron Lazat, who began his junior career in Peterborough, got traded to Barry, then went to Erie where he won an OHL championship. But he talked about how much he loved it in Barry and not to give too much away, but Cameron Lazat is now an award-winning fashion designer of all things. Guy was a pretty rough and tumble guy in the OHL, gets into fashion. He makes his own clothes and he had started doing it while he was in the O. And he told us on the podcast, the most recent episode with our feature interview that's out right now, he told us how supportive Dale was of him when he was in Barry. He called him in the office. He thought he was, Lazat thought he was in trouble. And Dale just wanted to know more about these clothes that he was making and how the Colts could help. I think that tells you a lot about Dale Howard, Chuck, too. Yeah, Dale Hart, you'd be hard pressed to find anyone that says a, a bad word about him. And just for for anyone who's younger, doesn't doesn't know the name Dale Harchuk as much as maybe they should, just think of one of the all timers. You look at the era of Gretzky and Lemieux, and right there in the next tier with you know with the Eisermans and and Dougie Gilmore and Saki, you name it, he was right there. He's he was that good. Um, so those of you that missed watching Dale Harchuk play, uh, special. Former Cornwall Royal, bring back the Royals. I get my plug in for that. Miss them in the Ontario Hockey League. The other note also coming out of Barry is in the form of Brant Clark, who this weekend picked up the points to surpass Luke Nasado, who had a cup of coffee with the Kitchener Rangers in his OHL career for most points by a Barry defenseman. Here's the interesting part about it. Uh, 134 was the mark. Uh, Brant Clark now owns it. Uh, Nasato took 177 games to get there. Brant Clark took 133. That tells you a little something about Brant Clark, I think. <laughs> it, it does. It does. And I can't say any more about Brant, Brant Clark that hasn't already been said, but I will, I will give a quick shout out to Luch Nasato, who, what, what a reputation that guy staked. I, I'm pretty sure Brant Clark has not thrown as many knees as Luch Nasato did. So, <laughs> but what, <laughs> What what a fun player to watch Luch was. So uh, there's the that's a, a great little bit of trivia there. And much like Zane Parekh, whose tires we pumped on the podcast last week for establishing a new mark for rookie defenseman in scoring his 20th goal, uh, beating Rick Corvo's mark, uh, Corvo from 35 years ago with the London Knights. We said, well, Parekh's just going to keep adding to it. Let's go, Zane. Start. Don't make us liars here because Brant Clark has a you know, a mitt full of games left in this uh, Ontario Hockey League season two to add to that mark in Barry for points by a defenseman. So don't let us down, Brad. He picked up two more <laughs> in his game right after. So I don't think he will let us down. That is. Oh, he's got the record now. He can take a holiday before the play. <laughs> no, that, yeah, I'm, I'm sure plenty are to come. And it's been a pretty big offensive year for a number of defensemen this league. It's been fun to watch. Uh, one of the things that you came across, which I thought was so cool, uh, Dallin Wakely, who uh, is a big supporter who himself uh, hails from a First Nations community and wants to support Indigenous hockey efforts, got together with a couple of his teammates up in North Bay and played a little game of shinny against the Nipissing First Nation. Yeah, and what, what a great kid when you you look at his story. I mean, uh, was a star uh, coming up in Quinty out of Port Hope. And uh, I thought really cool factor with, uh, with a guy like Dallin Wakely, who's 
parents met at an indigenous hockey game. Uh, so his his story goes goes way back uh, in this kind of community, um, give back type nature, and and to see him do that. So he's from the the Curve Lake First Nation. And, Grew up going to Peterborough Pete's games, now playing for a rival in North Bay and supporting the Nipissing First Nation. So it, it just goes to show the mentality of, of a kid like like Dallin Wakeley. It doesn't matter where where he is, what point he'll uh, he'll look to support whatever First Nations and Indigenous kids playing hockey are in, in the area and make time for that. And that's so important for for those kids um, to, to get that support and that recognition from from players of his stature. So uh we we started the podcast on a on a bit of a down note with with some of the topics and this is just a really positive one you talk about role models and this is exactly who you want so so kudos Dallin for for everything you're doing on and off the ice I would echo that 100% it's a great little story Anthony Romani and uh Dom DiVincentis the goaltender up there in North Bay joining Wakeley in that uh, game of shinny with Nipissing First Nation uh, you and I got to see Dan by way of attendance at a Rangers Owen Sound game just this past weekend. Carter George, the young goaltender for the attack, put on a heck of a performance, making 48 saves on 50 shots against as the attack beat the Rangers in overtime 3-2. to two. I bring that name up because Carter George just happens to be a student of a good friend of this podcast by the name of Matt Smith. We've talked about Matt Smith and Matt Smith goaltending before. It must be that uh, real ice service they have for training at the facility in Cambridge, but you can look up more about it at mattsmithgoaltending.com. Carter George had himself a week. How about Nolan Lalonde? Earlier in the week, he posts a 44-save shutout against Carter George in the Owen Sound attack. Uh, Lalonde plays for the Erie Otters. He's also a student of Matt's. And, oh, just one more. I'll throw it in there. Michael Simpson of the Peterborough Peets picked up three wins in this past week. And guess who his goaltending coach is? So I'm just putting it out there. It's a good week for Matt Smith goaltending. That's all. <laughs> and a little teaser for those going to hang in the rest of this podcast. Uh, Matt Smith's name might come up again. So I'll, I'll just put that. I I have a little uh, shout out later for, for another one of his, his protégés. So. Okay. Excellent. So there you go. Boy, I think we might have to send some sort of invoice or something for all of this. I mean, Matt, come on. What have you done for us lately? Uh, Okay. Another thing I wanted to just touch on, and I'm going to admit, like, (laughs) I'm starting to get a little bit of blowback on Twitter. And that's what Twitter's for, I guess. But for all my complaints about not getting enough free food. Although, I will say that my colleague Josh Brown, who covers the Rangers for the Waterloo Region record, pointed out the same thing in one of his recent columns. So I'll just leave that there. I've done enough complaining about it. But here's my complaint of this week, okay? It's not, it, it, it hits close to home because it selfishly impacted me, but I wasn't the only one grumbling about it after the game on Family Day in Hamilton, where we were waiting to get on the bus to leave first Ontario center. And we had to wait and wait and wait because one of the Rangers got pulled aside for the random drug test, which by the way, make no mistake. I want to be abundantly clear about this. I'm all for it. We should be doing this random drug testing. I think it's important. I think it's great. I'm going to ask though, if we could possibly, if it wouldn't be too much trouble to do this after home games, why do it? on the road again i think part of the frustration on family day was that it was an afternoon game and we were all kind of anxious to get home 
to our families. And you got to wait. Just imagine being that kid. You have to pee. Well, you've already sweated out basically everything that you had to pee out during the game. So now, not only do you have to try to go again, but you have to do it on command while somebody is literally standing over your shoulder. I can't even imagine the pressure, but I'm just wondering if, and it did take me back to, I think it was Ryan McInnes that was the, I mean, it doesn't mean he was, please don't mistake me. It doesn't mean he was using drugs, but it's the, he was the one that was randomly pulled out at a game in Sarnia. So there were two hours from home. This is many, many years ago, but we're two hours from home and we're waiting for this poor kid post game to pee in a cup so that he can be drug tested. I'm just asking, like, there are, in my opinion, too many things that can go wrong with that, if I can put it that way. What if you're further away from home and your bus driver has only a certain number of hours to get you back because of the hours that they're allowed to drive or something like that? Why do it on the road? Just grab kids in their home rink. Is, am, am I going, am I crazy here? Is that too much to ask? It, it seems simple to me if you could keep these. I know they're supposed to be randomized, so you catch them at any point without them knowing, but there's enough home games, that, enough frequency that I, I don't think that would be an issue to do it randomly there. And, and you know, with the, the game you're referring to, Mike, they had just come off a 4 nothing loss. I'm not sure they needed a drug test. or <laughs> that, The drug test was probably the scoreboard for that one. So, But, yeah, like it, there's, there are some conveniences here to, to teenagers uh, getting getting home after a long weekend and, and other logistics, like you just said, and the bus driver uh, fatigue issue and whatnot. So, yeah, it just to me, it seems to make some logical sense that we could maybe schedule these things a little better. <laughs> Logic is what I'm looking for in all of this. Like you're holding up an entire team and its staff because, again, I support the random drug testing. Let's keep it up. Let's do it. Let's make sure that there's an awareness of the importance of this. But let's just let's just do it at home. So the other 19 players and all of the staff, including us lowly broadcasters, can leave and go home to our families. That's all I'm asking. All asking, flag him at home, guys. Flag him at home. Okay, there's my there's my pet peeve of the week. Uh, still to come on this episode of the OHL podcast. Of course, we've got our prospects of the week and sort of a connection to one of my favorite subjects. I'm not going to necessarily talk realignment, but I think I think there might be just a little something we can do to increase revenue for all teams in this league and who wouldn't want to do that because this is after all a little bit of a business too This also connects to the game in Hamilton, Dan, that the Rangers played on family day. And I acknowledge, as I even say this, that it was family day. So that makes a difference because it's a Monday, it's a holiday, people have those holiday vibes. But the Rangers have been playing this game in Hamilton for the last number of years. And gosh, did it make me realize how much I'm going to miss First Ontario Centre? Because when you put a nice crowd in there, and you've got some good energy and shout out to the in arena staff with the bulldogs like from the i guess you call them a dj i don't know whoever's doing the music the pa announcer all like 
it was a good production on on family day but you filled they had more than 7400 fans in there because rangers fans travel pretty well it's an easy drive from kitchener to hamilton the weather was beautiful that would have helped but that lower bowl at first ontario center was pretty full the in-house production of the game was really well done and i'm thinking to myself why don't they do this more often look the bulldogs are doing fine attendance wise but they they would have had at least three to 30 like almost double their usual attendance in there so why does this only happen once a year could we not find more opportunities again i recognize i'm being selfish talking about this from a kitchener side of things and i know the rangers fans travel well but wouldn't michael Landlauer and the hamilton bulldogs love to have that just once more a year do you think in mississauga Elliot Kerr would love to see some more bums in seats at Paramount Fine Food Center. And like if the Rangers played another game there, you know fans will travel to that one. I think we could probably find other examples too. If the Sioux can play Sudbury six times a year, and that's crossing conferences, I understand it's for geographical purposes. But if we can do that, if we can have Ottawa play Gatineau in another freaking league which we've talked about on this podcast before, and I don't necessarily love, but obviously we're doing it for a reason, right? Generate some interest, put some bums in seats. Shouldn't we, over the course of a 68-game schedule, be looking for more opportunities like this? I say hell yes. Of course, of course. And there's different angles to attack this from, just these special games where you have rivalry games or close geographical games or whatnot, for sure. And then the other aspect I think you just hit on, which is really interesting, is is the good traveling uh, fan bases and, and the big tickets because you look at the NHL and we know how well Habs fans, Leaf fans, Blackhawk fans and Ranger fans travel and some of those teams. So those home teams really look for those gates and they love it because they get it. They get a sellout every time they get a lot of uh, concession sales, whatnot. Same concept could apply to the OHL where you look at the London's and the Kitchener's and these teams whose fan bases travel really well maybe share that wealth around the league a little more and give, give some of these other markets a, a couple more looks at those teams. So, cause you're right. The atmosphere is everything and atmosphere breeds atmosphere too, right? People want to come back. So I think it's a great idea. You, you hit the nail on the head with that atmosphere breeds atmosphere, right? I'm sure Buffalo fans didn't love it when they had a home game that felt like a road game with so many Leafs fans in there recently, but I got the sense that the crowd in Hamilton for that Rangers-Bulldogs game was pretty much split. It creates great fun, great energy. If people are talking about it after the fact, that's just a good thing all around. So let's just let's just find an excuse for it, quite frankly. Look, I love the scenic city of Owen Sound. Do the Rangers need to go there eight times or do they need to play the attack eight times a year? Again, in a 68-game schedule, I'll bet you i'll bet you dollars to donuts we can find ways i mean i was thinking boy if belleville was only still in the league like kingston belleville should be a constant thing peterborough oshawa's got it all over it london sarnia i think is terrific barry and and owen sound already play extra games against each other already mentioned the sioux and sudbury i'm just i'm just begging you ohl look for opportunities find them talk to the governors at the at the meetings this summer and and find out who they might like to see come in more often and just pluck another game off the regular schedule and and see if you can't make something work because i think it's good for the entire league to see that kind of atmosphere and energy in a ring oh hands down there's no doubt about it and 
I know you're, you're the first argument you're going to hear back is all oh, travel costs and and whatnot. And the Ontario Hockey League geographically is pretty tiny. When you look at the travel we get in the WHL and even the Quebec League, there's a lot more travel there. So it makes Sault Ste. Marie to to Erie look pretty paltry by by some of the bus trips they they endure. And I'm not I'm not saying it's a great thing that you want all those bus hours and whatnot, but there is definitely a way, as you're suggesting to increase the number of these games and, and up the atmosphere in these rinks rather than, you know, six to eight games, of the same opponent where there's not much going on there. So yeah, find a way. And we talked about the Sioux on this podcast last week. If they can do what they do every single season, again, compared to the other leagues, even that is easy, but you're bang on the money. We can find a little bit more travel. Yeah. It might cost you a little bit more, but I, again, better atmospheres in all rinks is just better for the league. Everybody's going to be better for it. And it does lead into, so I, I may have floated this idea out there uh, kind of offline from this podcast with my Fridays with Farwell segments that also get posted to the OHL podcast YouTube channel. And it led to a response from Matt. Let me, it's not your brother, by the way, Dan. So don't worry about that. <laughs> Thank you, <Jesus>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I didn't prepare you for this. I just wanted to throw it at you and, and listen to what you thought, because I've, long held especially since north bay came back into the league that it's time to start looking at realigning things again in the ohl even with this concept of the novelty game or the travel game or whatever we call it i recognize that i'm coming at it from a guy who works with the team that might be the most central in the entire league right it's so easy to get so many places from kitchener but matt sent an email to ohl podcast at rogers.com and proposed his own idea for realignment following my talk about this novelty game idea so matt has even i love what he's done here he's labeled the divisions by the body of water they're nearest so the north division becomes the georgian bay and it features sault saint marie Owen Sound, Barrie, Sudbury, and North Bay. Then he's got the West Division, which is around Lake Huron, Flint, Saginaw, Windsor, Sarnia, London. And he's got the Central Division, which he puts around Lake Erie with Guelph, Kitchener, Brantford. Next year, Erie and Niagara. And the East along the shores of Lake Ontario with Mississauga, Oshawa, Peterborough, Kingston, and Ottawa. I had never seen, I always put Saginaw in my North division, but I kind of like where Matt's going with North Bay, Sudbury, Sioux, Owen Sound, and Barrie. Again, I say that knowing that I'm not North Bay, or I'm not Barrie and Owen Sound doing the travel for divisional games to Sioux St. Marie, Sudbury, and North Bay, but I don't hate where Matt's going with this. Thoughts? I'm going to have to shoot it down, Matt. I, I just think there's a little bit too much logic applied here. We, we, <laughs> we don't want logic. We, we, no, we gotta, you, you got to have Niagara playing in a different conference than Erie and things like that. So, I mean, we not crazy enough, Matt, but I, I love it. I Frankly, I love it. I, and when you look at the geography of this league, certain fairly obvious things emerge. And that's, I hadn't attributed them to bodies of water, but you know me and my environmental bent, I love that, that. So, but having, having said that, that aside, 
what a great way to to align it i mean geographically people are all very aware of where those bodies of water are it calls attention to some of the great physical geographical features of the jurisdiction that you're serving um but bottom line is it makes sense from a rivalry travel uh, standpoint as well i think it's a great idea i'm i'm fully on board there matt see i don't hate it either again having been on the realignment bandwagon for a little while but I was really surprised that some of the biggest pushback I got against the idea of these novelty games that you and I just talked about, you know, more Kitchener Hamilton, for example, that they said, it's just a, a Mickey mouse way of trying to get like it. It's half assing, if you will, realignment, just realign then and get it over with, which I guess. So maybe these novelty games are a way to get us closer to that. But Matt came up with this on his own and, I, I guess it's probably fair to acknowledge we're probably saying this too, Dan, as two guys that are as invested in the league as we are. And I, I feel like I'm picking on the league a lot in this episode. I don't mean to do that, but you see a lot of the same teams over and over and over again. And maybe just having done it for so long, it's time. I'm asking, can you can you freshen it up for me? Dave Branch, will you do it for me? Come on, Dave. I, well, you know my take on this. I couldn't agree more. I, I There's this two camps almost where one thinks the more you see a team, the more the rivalry grows. The other camp thinks the more the boredom grows. I'm firmly in the second camp. I think you you get tired of seeing the same teams over and over and over and the same players. And the, to me, the real shame is just the lack of knowledge of the league that you're conveying to all the fans and the fan base. You have a great product. You have great players. Showcase them to the entire league. Show me... Pavel Minchikov four times instead of twice. If I missed that home game, I never saw him. Uh, things like that, right? So I, I, I'm firmly in the camp of let's let's bring more variety into it. The rivalries build naturally. The playoffs cause that. Lots of things cause that. Let's not get hung up on, oh, we got to make these players face each other 10 times. So then there's, you know, bench clearing brawls like there were in the 80s. And that's not happening. Let's Let's change the mentality and showcase what you've got more often to more people. I love that way of looking at it because you're absolutely right. The fans deserve to see the very best players as often as possible. We've had that talk before as well. So maybe the novelty games are a, a baby step towards getting there. But Matt, we like logical fans like you. Thanks for the email. Send them anytime. OHL podcast at rogers.com. And maybe Matt's idea for realigning around Georgian Bay and Lakes Huron, Erie and Ontario is the way to go for the Ontario Hockey League. The league can take it as their own. It was just Matt that kind of planted the seed for the idea. So I I don't hate it. I don't hate it one bit. Okay. Uh, we always like to finish off our episodes of this podcast with a look at our uh, prospects of the week. Each of us picks a player that's kind of stood out to us that is NHL draft eligible later this year. Dansky, who you got? All right. I'm going a little off board again here, Mike, just because I don't want to ignore – Two categories. I don't want to ignore categories of players who are eligible for a second or third time who are passed over and the goaltender category, which we ha have neglected or I have neglected a bit. So I'm throwing my weight behind a Matt Smith protege here, uh, Charlie Schenkel. And the reason I'm doing it is came on the radar early on this year, more or less, when he start, got a few starts for the Sioux Greyhounds, has more or less shared the crease with Ivanov lately and started to take over. And I'm just, 
I know Sue is not a strong team this year and is likely not going to make the playoffs and doesn't have a lot of firepower, which puts a lot of strain on the goaltender. So the numbers aren't necessarily going to look impressive, but the display I saw was sure impressive. Side to side movement, outstanding, a bigger, a bigger goaltender, which the NHL scouts love would have been one of the youngest players in the draft last year, had he been picked with a late August birthday. So lots of upside there. And, just looking at the form and technique and, and some of the unbelievable saves getting square to the shooter uh, he's able to do uh, at his age, I would be shocked if he's not at an NHL camp this this summer, if not drafted. So Charlie Schenkel is my guy this week, Mike. Have a I love the pick. I love going a little bit off the board with that. And I will also say, first of all, size matters. That's going to factor into the guy I'm about to talk about. What I liked most about Charlie Schenkel, having had the chance to see him this weekend, is the way he bounced back from getting absolutely shelled the last time he faced the Kitchener Rangers, which was only nine days earlier. He allowed six goals on 19 shots before being pulled. It was just one of those nights. He comes back in the rematch nine days later, stonewalls Kitchener for 40 minutes, ends up losing the game 3-0. Only two went in on him. One was an empty netter. But redemption for sure. I would say just because of the way he played, obviously coming off the tough loss the previous time. I think it's a great call. I'm going to uh, bring it really close to home for me personally, but not the Kitchener Rangers, a kid that played for the Waterloo Wolves was pretty highly regarded going into the Ontario hockey league, uh, third rounder to the Flint firebirds is I believe where he went, but I'm going with Ethan Hay. And I'll tell you why I'm going with Ethan Hay. I, I mentioned size matters before at six one one eighty. That's not a bad size for a forward, and he's not afraid to do some of the dirty work in the corners along the boards. One of the things I like best about him is his 200-foot game. He's a pretty responsible defensive forward, but then you start looking at the numbers, and he's starting to catch your attention lately because he's got four goals and five points in his past five games. But extrapolate that just a little bit further. I don't know if he changed his diet. I don't know if he went and saw a fortune teller. I don't know what happened. But from the last game of January through the month of February, over those 13 games, he's got eight goals. He's got 16 goals on the season. So eight in his past 13, eight in the previous 41 for Ethan Hay. Something's going right. I'm not saying he's going to jump up into the top three rounds in the NHL draft. I'm just saying Ethan Hay is a guy I'm keeping an eye on, and that's why he is my prospect of the week. Another great call. And another one of the latest local kids, Mike DeHaunt, those Kitchener Rangers, last time they visited Flint. And and you're right, at that at that size, like perfectly average for a Ford right now, project a couple by the time he's 22, 23, looking at NHL days, you're, you're looking at a player that's 195, pushing 200 probably. So lots of upside with Ethan Hay. Great choice. All right. We'll see where that goes. So we got a Charlie Schenkel and Ethan Hay on our prospects of the week this week. Okay. As we also sign off, we like to look ahead to our feature interview on Friday. I'm pretty, I'm pretty pumped about this one, Dan, because it was just a couple of weeks ago we had a former Ottawa 67 on for the feature interview who went in the first round, second overall only to Dale Howarchuk in the 1981 NHL entry draft. Another chance for us to talk about Dale Howarchuk on this episode of the podcast. That was Doug Smith, went second overall to the LA Kings in 81. The year before that, 
1980, the draft held at the Montreal Forum. The Los Angeles Kings were also looking at another player from the Ottawa 67s. They took him in the first round. He's regarded as one of the top 50 Ottawa 67s in franchise history. And he had just a measly 166 points in a an injury-shortened 52-game season as a member of the Ottawa 67s. Not bad. I guess that's what makes you a first-rounder to the show. So that is all you're going to get. It's not Doug Smith. He's already been on. But he played with Doug Smith in L.A. because they were both first-rounders in back-to-back years from the Ottawa 67s. I think you will really enjoy this. He's still very much involved in the game, our guest coming up on Friday. Getting some heavy hitters there, Mike. That's a pretty decent point-per-game average. (laughs) We're having some fun with it, for sure. That is Dan Mahar. You'll find him on Twitter, at Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell on Twitter, at Farwell underscore O-H-L. Send us an email anytime, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. We love hearing from you. By all means, chirp us on Twitter if you want. Follow along on all the social media platforms. We're on YouTube. uh, We're on Instagram wherever it is. And please like subscribe, tell a friend, let us know who who we might be missing. We can't wait to come to your city. And thanks for listening to another episode of the OHL podcast. Your next episode with that former Ottawa 67 coming out on Friday. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the sound off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.